Hey, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Who's in mourning after Northern Ireland? Such a sad day. We doing okay? Tired? It'll be all right. The Englishman says it'll be all right by Monday. Oh, we know where you live. Hey, well, welcome. Good morning, Vineyard. Well, that was very organized. Uh, welcome to a place to belong. We were, want to welcome you if this is your first time to a continued series that we're doing called Transformation. Just to give you a, a sort of background to it, we're, we've been looking at transformation in every key area of your life. We've been looking at how God transforms your spiritual life. We've looked at your physical life. We've looked at um, even your mental health, about stress and worry, how God wants to transform that. And, and we've also looked at your emotional health. God's interested in every part of your life, emotional, physical, spiritual, uh, mental health. And this morning, I want to talk about something that affects everyone in the room this morning. So this is, uh, maybe you want to take notes this morning if you're a note taker, because I want to talk about a lot of things this morning, which, would be, which will be hugely helpful for all of us. And that is about transforming your relationships, right? Anybody could need a bit of work on the relationships. I think we all do from, from time to time. How do you make your relationships better? Is that okay? We all want to make our relationships better. And so I want to diffuse some fears that run through relationships this morning. And to do that, we're going to go right back to the book of Genesis to begin with, right back to the, the very, book, the very uh, beginning, the first book of the Bible. We're going to look at a couple called Adam and Eve. And you may be familiar with the story. I don't know if you are. But it all got it all went wrong with them. So thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. If you're feeling a little bit overweight today, you can blame them. There was no calories before them. If you're feeling like your legs are creaking and your back is sore, blame them. It all started there in the garden. So you may be familiar with the story, God creates the universe. It's interesting to know that God did not create the universe for the sake of it. It wasn't his big idea just to create a universe. It wasn't that he would uh, create something beautiful so that everybody would look and see God and worship him, though it does point us towards God, and I'm thankful for that. But that's not the reason for God creating the universe. The reason God created the universe was for humanity, so that we would be family, so that we would be community. He wanted a family, and that's why he created the universe. And he wants you and I in relationship. We are wired to be relational beings. And so you know the story, maybe familiar with the story, maybe not, but let me just give you a quick synopsis, a synopsis of it. Adam, he's put in the garden, there's a perfect paradise, everything is good, everything is, is wonderful, and one problem, he's lonely. That's why we're wired for relationship. You and I are deeply longing for relationships. So God makes Adam out of dust, and then he makes Eve. He puts Adam into deep sleep, but he makes Eve, and he takes Eve from his side. That's, that's a symbolism right there. Maybe you could skip over that, but I really believe that's intentional. Everything that God does is intentional, that God created Adam's helpmate, a partner of life. He could have taken him out of his foot. And people might have concluded that man can walk all over woman, but he didn't. He could have made woman from his head, and then she could have lorded over him, as if they would. <laughs> and that might make sense, but he takes Adam or Eve from the side because they're equal. They're in partnership together. And so I could say so much more about that, but we're not going to do that this morning. Now, things go really wrong. There's this guy called Satan the Devil. Maybe you know the story. 
And he lies there. He says, didn't God say? Didn't God say? See, the thing about temptation in this, did you, do know, did you know that the temptation is minimum and everything else without limits? Sometimes we confuse that in Christianity. We think that God is limiting and everything else is without limits. But it's actually the reverse. Here in the garden, the one thing that they couldn't have was very limited to one tree. There's choice. God wants us to have choice. God wants a relationship where you choose to love God, not that you should love God, not that he manipulates you to love him, not that he has power up for you to love him. God gives every human being the opportunity to love him, and it's called choice. And it's a very minimum choice. See, in the, gar- in, in the garden, he plants one tree and says, here's the minimum. Don't choose this. But then have this unlimited choice of everything that's good. And that's what the story of Christianity is about. It's not a narrow story. It's not a narrow narrative. It's actually an unlimitless life with God. And society would have us thinking that God is limiting us. God is limiting our choices. And the reason why humanity actually sinned was because it's this one temptation, this minimum temptation, but such a huge temptation. And every every temptation comes from this basic issue, and it comes from a lie, is that I want to be God. I want to be God. And Satan never tempts us to be like himself. I mean, that would just be a straight-up given. We would, all fall, we would never fall for that. I mean, nobody would fall into the temptation that you want to be evil. Nobody decides to do that. Nobody would like to be the father of all lies like the devil is. Satan never says, hey, come and be like me. He says, no, if you take this fruit, if you take this choice, then you can be like God. And really and truly, can God really be trusted? I mean, God really doesn't want you to have that because God is a bit old-fashioned. God is not relevant to the 21st century. I mean, look at society. I mean, guys, move on. God cannot be trusted. God is old-fashioned. He's not relevant to our culture. Therefore, you be God. You choose. You make the decisions. And really, does God want you to be happy? I mean, have you ever seen Christians? I mean, they really don't look that happy. It's okay. I mean, we should be the happiest people on earth. And then, you know, you want, to be, you want to give your life to God? Man, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. You'll be miserable for the rest of your life. Wish I had a mirror. <laughs> a really practical point at this moment. So because, God, you know better than God, don't you? I mean, the society has changed so much. We've moved so quickly. Never has, has society sped up in, in all my lifetime when we've seen change after change. We've gone through living history. We've seen a referendum, actually, in our lifetime. We've gone through and we've seen this and we've seen that. We've seen change in marriage. We've seen change in this. Things have just sped up. But, man, God is a little bit slow sometimes in catching up with society. Therefore, you can choose. You can choose to be like God yourself. Take things on. You'll be more happy. You're a God. You're a God. So let me read the story. It's in Genesis 3. We'll pick it up. The story about verse 6, if that's okay. It'll be on the screen here beside me. Can I encourage you, if you have a phone, or if you have a phone, if you have a Bible on your phone, open it up, please. Do not go to Angry Birds. Do not go to Facebook or Instagram. You'll go to hell if you do that. But (laughs) open it up at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And that's where we're going to pick it up. So Eve ate some of the fruit. That limitless, limited temptation, when there was so much unlimited choice, she ate the fruit. Then she shall give, then she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately, their eyes were open, and suddenly felt shame and nakedness. 
This is where shame enters society, shame enters the world. And so many of us today, we're actually, we have shame in our lives. We have so much shame in our lives. Shame enters the world at this moment. There had, been, there had never been any shame at this, up to this point. There'd never been any guilt. There always, there wasn't even such a thing as vulnerability, yet there was vulnerability. There was nakedness, there was vulnerability, and there was no shame in that. And there also was no fear prior to this also, which was a great thing. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Anybody ever seen fig leaves? They ain't that big. So they sew the fig leaves up, and they, they sew them together to cover themselves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that. I love that piece of scripture there. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees. But God called out to Adam, where are you? Adam replied, I hear you coming. I heard you coming, and I was afraid. Notice fear again, because I was naked, so I hid. So I hid. Then God asked, who told you you were naked? Who dropped that one? How do you know? Adam said, she your woman, she gave me the fruit. I was going just fine. Life was going good. But this woman that you made for me has caused me to go down this path. Right, guys? Just testing the waters. Then God said to Eve, why'd you do this? Eve replied, the serpent deceived me. And he did. And I ate it. So God said to Eve, because you disobeyed me, in other words, because you didn't do what I told you to do, there's going to be a curse now. And from this moment, everything is broken. Everything is broken. This is a fantastic story filled with enormous amounts of spiritual truth in it. But I just want to point out relational truths this morning so that we can get healthy and we can be transformed in our relationships. Because in this story, we see three basic fundamental fears that pop up in every single relationship that you guys are connected with this morning. So you can use this morning's conversation, you can use this morning's sermon, this preach, this talk, whatever you want to call it. I don't really care. But you can use what I'm about to give you this morning. You can use it in your life, in your life groups. You can use it in your marriage. You can use it in your boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. You can use it in, with your friends. And you can also use it in your workplace on a Monday morning. So is that a good deal? And if none of this is relevant to you, then somebody will be at the back of the door. Ricky, stand there. He'll give you your money back. All right, total refund this morning for you. So let's look at how fears ruin relationships. We're going to jump straight in at that there. So the first fear we learn is this, the fear of exposure. The fear of exposure makes you and I distant in relationships, with, both with each other and also with God. The fear of exposure makes us distant. Why can't we get close to people? Why do we never go that way, I'd like to be closer to my wife. I'd like to be closer to my husband. I'd like to have intimacy, soul, passionate intimacy in our partnership. Why can't I get close to people in my life? I get so far, I move so far, but then I just can't go that extra 10%. Here's the truth. There's a lot in you that you don't like. Do you hear me? There's a lot of me that I don't like. I know you think I'm perfect. I know I look like the perfect person. Five, six foot two, slim build everything together, smart guy, good-looking guy. But there's things in me, there's a lot of me that I don't like. There's a lot in you that you don't like. And the stuff that you know that you don't like, you're afraid because you think that others might not like what you don't like in you. You're, you're, you certainly don't want anybody to see it, right? 
I mean, if people really knew about you, Keith Warwick, I mean, nobody would sit right beside you. Uh, and if people really knew about Derek Dickey, I mean, nobody in this world would buy a car from him if they really knew the type of person that he was. Because there's stuff in us that we don't like, and we think if people see that stuff that we don't like, then we're done for. The things that you don't accept about you, you fear that might not be accepted by others. Does that make sense? There's lots of stuff that we don't accept about ourselves. You see, people talk about Christianity saving us from our sins. I think God saved me from me. I was making a big enough balls up myself. Is that okay to say that word? No. Michelle, just give me the... I was mucking it up enough myself. I didn't really need saved from sin. I needed saved from myself. I was screwing life up royally myself. And sometimes I still do. So God didn't save me from this great sin. God saved me from myself because there's things in my life that I didn't like and I knew other people wouldn't like it. And if they ever found out about that, so the best thing that we do in that moment is you just keep your distance. Pull back, keep your distance from relationships, whether it's with humanity or God. Because when people get close to you, they can see warts and all. That's why we have a phrase here in Vineyard Church, Dungan, and we haven't used it for a long, long time. I think the first time we did church, we used to say, you can come as you are. Worst foot forward. And everybody that comes through those doors, no matter where we are on our journey, wherever God gives us a home, and we're looking for a home, but no matter where those doors are and what those doors look like and what, what color they're painted with, everybody that comes through those doors gets a fresh start. Everybody, regardless of their social, economic, political, race, background, everybody that comes through those doors can come with their worst foot forward. That's the type of church we're building. That's the type of church we're going together with in the future. And that's the type of church that I think that God wants us to have, according to Acts 2. Let me read 9 and 10 of that verse in chapter in Genesis 3. It says this, God called Adam, why are you hiding? And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Let me say a couple of things here. Whenever God asks you a question like, um, hey, Jason, where are you? First of all, where are you? And why are you hiding? God is not sort of lost. He's not actually thinking, where the heck is he? And why are you hiding? God actually knows the answer. And what he's doing here, he's allowing us to own up. He's given us a choice to own up because that's where relationships start. That's where honest relationships start, where we don't be distant, but we actually own up. We don't hide. We don't come back. Any transformation era in your life, including a relationship, only happens when you own up to the fact that you aren't what you ought to be. Is that fair enough? So I don't want to beat you up this morning, but you know what? Maybe you're saying, I've got a great marriage. It's not going to get any better. I've got great friendships. They're fine. They're okay. They're at the stage where I like them. As long as you're in denial, there's no recovery. There's no transformation. Do you hear me? As long as you're in denial, there's no transformation. There's no relationship recovery. And relationships won't get any better. So it starts with you owning up and being honest to God. Honest with yourself and your relationships that they're not what they should be and they're not what they could be. Does anybody here in this room really, really believe that their relationship, every relationship that they have, whether it's with your spouse, your friends, your work colleagues, that they're all absolutely brilliant? Or does anybody need a little work in some area of relationship this morning? Even with God the Father. We all need, we all need a little work. And so I want you to work. If you, do anybody, anybody really crazy? And are you like comfortable writing in your Bible? It's only a piece of paper, so don't get, get weird about it. But if you're comfortable, if only if you're comfortable writing in your Bible, I would circle the word, I was afraid and I hid. Because, because they go together. I was afraid and I hid. Those things go together. Fear always causes us to hide. I wonder what you're hiding from today. 
said that very northern Irish, didn't it? Sounded nearly like a Presbyterian preacher. I wonder what you're hiding from today. I wonder what you're hiding from today because of fear. What are you pretending not to know about yourself? Really, Jason? Is this some kind of psychology test? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your marriage? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your life? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your relationship? Because when you're afraid of facing the truth, God doesn't want you to fake it. He wants you to face it, not Facebook it. And so many of us would rather Facebook it than face it because we want to hide behind the stuff. When it comes to fear, we want to hide. We want to keep distant. And so what does it mean to be naked? Well, there's more to naked than just being without clothes. Do you ever feel naked? Uh, I mean, I, at the National Leadership Conference just last year, I'm going to ex- I was going to say expose myself, but not physically expose myself, because that would just be a disaster. It would be all over the newspapers tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I had this word from God that God was going to open up deaf ears, and I got up, and I gave this word out, and nothing happened in the room. Now, this is among my peers. This place was jam-packed. How many people were at the NLC this year? 1,200 people in this room. I get up on stage. Guy gives me the mic. The mic's going to get here. <laughs> and I'm trying to get the words out. And nothing happens. And I walk off the stage, and it was a pretty big platform, and I walked out, and I felt naked. You know what I wanted to do at that moment? I just wanted to keep walking out the doors of Trent Vineyard, keep walking, keep walking, and find the nearest pub, or maybe the nearest airport, and just go home. Uh, but the beauty of the story, because I'm still vulnerable, I like to protect my uh, nakedness this morning, but just to say that people in that moment immediately got healed in their ears. But I'm only saying that because I'm feeling vulnerable this morning. In case you're thinking what really happened. Because I don't want to be naked again. But there's more to it that there's um, anybody ever felt like that emotional nakedness? Is that okay if you use that sort of language? Is it can't yeah? You emotionally feel naked, you just feel like I'm stripped, I'm vulnerable. Everybody can see me. All eyes are on me. See this job? I mean it's a great job. <laughs> it means to be naked just means to be exposed. It means to be uncovered. It means to be vulnerable. It means to be authentic. And vulnerability is a great strength. You see, people do not connect you through your gifts often and through your strengths. But I think that people in society actually connect you through your vulnerability. Even more so than your gifts and your strengths. I mean, do you ever met people? Have you ever stood and, and have a conversation with people? And all they talk about their gift and their strength. And you think to yourself sometimes, I can't connect with that. And it's not a bad thing to have strengths. And it's not a bad thing to honor your strengths and your gift. And I mean, if you're good at stuff, and please don't be falsely humil- humble and say, oh, you know, you know, Christians always said, it wasn't me, it was God. Get over yourself. It was God who did a better job than you. It was you. <laughs> oh, it wasn't me singing, it was the Lord. It was not that good. It was nowhere near that good. <laughs> it wasn't the Lord. It was you. But that's okay. But do you ever have a conversation and somebody just lets their guard down a little bit and becomes a little bit vulnerable and you think to yourself, I like that person. It takes the barrier down. We feel like we're totally open and all of a sudden we can have a real conversation and the distance becomes closer between us. One of the deepest needs is to be loved, but one of the deepest fears is the fear of being seen for who you really are. That's one of the deepest needs is to be loved, but one of the deepest fears in our society today is to be seen for who you really are. You can live with a husband or a wife for 50 years, 25 years, and keep secrets from them. Because you're afraid they wouldn't accept that part of your life. When we counsel anybody, Michelle and I, when people are getting married, you know what we say? Right at the start, we say, sort your stuff out. Leave nothing in the wardrobe. 
Let, it, let all the truth come out now because this is a healthy stage that the truth come out. Don't let the skeletons come out of the, co- out of the, out of the closet when you're married, when you're 10 years in or 15 years in. You know, all those, uh, all those relationships you had before. Well, you had sex before with another partner. Now, talk about that stuff. It's healthy, okay? It's not good, but it's healthy. Talk about all this stuff because those things are important. And we have this fear, and we want to unlock fear this morning. I want to unlock fear in your relationships so that you guys can be free to have healthy relationships and for your relationships to flourish this morning. I want you to notice that the damage that fear does to a relationship, there are three stages that we see, and those are, here are the three things. I would write these down. These are very important. They come out of this scripture. Living with somebody doesn't mean they know everything about your life. And there's three things that come out of this scripture in Genesis 3, starting from verse 6. The first one is shame. The first phase is shame. Write that down. If you take notes this morning, put it on your phone, shame. That's verse 7. Once they disobeyed God, the first thing that entered the relationship was shame. When you disobey God, shame enters into your relationships. When we do stuff that's wrong, shame comes into them. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Fear is often based with shame. Fear is often based in shame. I'm afraid to tell you who I really am, because you may not like who I really am. And if I shared with you who I really am, you wouldn't come near me, so I'll just pretend this is who I am. I shared who I really am with you. It's too big a risk. It's too big a risk. We never go the extra 2%. We never go that 10%. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. Listen, but he does expect you to be honest. God's not interested in perfect people. He's interested in honest people. He's interested in funner people. Here at the vineyard, do you know why we do things informal here? Do you know why we dress down? Do you know why we do tea and coffee? Do you think we just do that because it was some American idea? Please. Please. We're smarter than that. The reason we do that is because we want people to be informal. We want people to be in relationship with each other and God. We want to take down every barrier that is an object and an obstruction to God and to each other. And to each other. We want to take down the barriers here in the vineyard so that we can have relationship with each other, relationship that it's honest and open. And God does not expect any person in this room to be perfect. But he does want you to be vulnerable. He does want you to be honest. Is this making sense? There's, an, there's only one antidote to the fear. Do you know what the antidote to fear is? I used to think it was faith. I used to think the opposite of fear was courage. You know, if you're afraid, you know, I came out of the triumphalism sort of type of church, you know, where you just part up all the time. and You, you weren't vulnerable for everybody. You had to be, they used to use this phrase, up for the sheep. I'm never up for the sheep. I'm always before God, honest, contrite, Screwed up, but honest. I don't need to be up for you guys. I'm not perfect. Honestly, I know you think I am. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. God doesn't want me to be perfect. He just wants me to be vulnerable and honest. And he says to me that the opposite of faith, Jason, is not you being courageous. The opposite of fear is not you having more and more faith in your life, trying to strum up more faith so, so you're never in fear. Do you know what the opposite of fear is? It's in the scriptures. Love. Love is the enemy of fear. There's a song. Sharon. Love is the enemy of fear. And I've found love. First John 4, 18, as we... Did you turn me off? <laughs> You're a funny man. You're a funny man. <clears throat> Maybe just a little bit more tradition in the vineyard. Maybe you could call me pastor, reverend. 
Rabbi. The first half of this verse says here in 1 John 4, 18, let me go really fast. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Not wherever faith is, there's no fear. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. So you want to get rid of fear in your relationship, you've got to get love in that position. You've got to get love in that place. You want to get rid of fear in your career, bring love into it. I'm going to teach you how to do that in just a moment, so don't panic. If you want to get love or fear out of your education or your sports or whatever it is, bring love into that situation. If you've got fear in your marriage, if you've got fear in your Monday mornings, if you've got fear in your workplace, your marriage, your relationships, your sports place, the places that you hang out recreationally, if you've got fear in those places, bring God in them because God is love and where love is, it casts out fear. And you know that when, when, when love comes into the house, fear goes out the back door. Because fear and love cannot stay in the same place. They're not linked together. They can't be linked together. They're the opposite. The opposite of fear is love. Fear is the enemy of love, and love is the enemy of fear. So therefore, if we're in a place, that's why, do you ever see people that, that you know, I see a house burning down, and, and some people are watching it thinking, shoot, and somebody else runs into it. What do you think motivates the person to run into it and the person that's standing there? It's because they're relationally connected maybe to the person that's inside the house and all of a sudden love captures them. Love for that person, love for the family, love for that relationship and love ones a day and love dispels the fear and they run into a burning house. I mean, we see all sorts of people because fear is always overcome by love. And the love is greater than the fear. That's a good thing, right? It can't stay in the same place. They're not equal powers. Love is always greater than fear. Learn to live in God's love. So you learn to live in God's love, and the result of fear is the second part of this verse, 1 John 4, 18. It is the thought of punishment that makes a person fearful. Let me just explain that to you. What is the thought of punishment? What's the thought of punishment that makes you fearful? It's thinking about the negative consequences. How many times have you been afraid to tell the truth because you know the consequences? My mo- can I say it? I'm going to say it. Uh, when I was growing up, when I got caught for something, I got a wallop in there, right? And so I used to think, I'm going to get a hammering. So I might as well just lie. But then I discovered when I lied to my ma, you don't lie to my mom. When you lie to your ma and then you get caught, you get a double wallop in. And, and we grew up as, as kids with this mentality in adulthood, we think, you know what? The consequence of getting found out is too much because the punishment is too real. Therefore, I'll just deny it. What you buy today, love? Nothing. Is them new shoes? No. I've always had these shoes. You stick it in the wardrobe, you bring it out six months later. When did you get that? Six months ago. I've always had it. Hmm? That's what I'd say. Uh, so some of you were going there thinking I was having a go at women, weren't you? I wasn't. I was actually having a go at men because I actually have more shoes than Michelle. What's the thought of punishment? It's negative consequences. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid because of the consequences. So many times have we gone to the party, gone on a date. You wanted to say what you really believed. See, when you carry shame, we carry embarrassment. We carry embarrassment. Got to learn to live in God's love because to do that, to do that takes courage. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to give you three things very quickly how you actually do that. 
There's three daily choices that you, that you can make so that you can bring love into the center of your life and therefore expose the fear. And to get past those, the punishment, the negative consequences type of thinking that makes a person fearful, I'm going to give you three things. And I'll just say them very quickly from the start. Every day you surrender. Every day you remember. And every day you offer. Every day you, every day you surrender. Every day you remember. And every day you offer. Let me go through these very quickly. And then I want us to respond with a song this morning. You doing okay? Still energized? Still alive? Rodney, talk to me. So this is what you do every morning. When you wake up, every day surrender your heart to God. I know this sounds like very basic Christianity stuff. Surrender your heart to God. Oh, that's really deep, Jason. But it works, it works, it works, it works. How do I learn to live in God's love? We surrender. The first thing we do is we surrender our heart to God. Why? Because God is love. That's simple. God is love. So the closer you get to God, the more love will fill your heart. The more distant you get because of your shame or your imperfection, the more distant you get from God, the less we love. It's not rocket science. The closer I am with God, the better I am loving my kids, the better I'm loving my wife, the better I'm loving my friends, better, the better I can love my, my work colleagues. The more distant I get from God, I get ratty. Yeah? Yeah, Caleb? Yeah. So because God is love, so you want to get rid of your fears, you've got to get close to God. And the way that you get close to God is then when you fear, your anxiety, your worry, and your insecurity, all those things begin to go, and then you begin to soar and flourish in life because perfect love casts out fear or all fear. All fear. Stay with me. Perfect love casts out all fear. What's all fear? Anxiety, stress. All that stuff, it goes out the back door. When love comes in the front door, that goes out the back door. Now, am I saying that you're never worried in life and that you're never anxious in life? No, but I'm just saying get close to God. Surrender your heart to God every morning. Listen to this verse. It's a very long verse, but it's a verse that you might want to write down. Go over it during this week. Job 11, 13 to 18. I really don't think Job's great reading, but I know it's in the Scriptures. I'm just being honest. Peter K. moment, just being honest, just being real. But Job's a hard book. I mean, have you read it? It's depressing. But this is good. This is good. Job 11, 13 to 18 is a verse you might even want to memorize, but it is long, but you could try it. Surrender your heart to God, turn to him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. You can do that first thing in the morning. So there's three things here that you sit inside of your bed or whatever you do, you get up in the morning, you go downstairs, you go in the car, jump in the car. Surrender your heart to God, turn to him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then notice the benefits. There's, there's benefits to these. When you confess, there's benefits. Where there's promise, where there's confession, there's always promise. Where there's promise, there's always reward. And here's some of the rewards. Let me read it for you. It's in the second part of this verse. So you sit at your bed, you go to your work, and here's the benefits. You won't be ashamed. Shame will banish from your life. You won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge, and your darkest night will be, a brighter, will, will, will be sorry, brighter than the noon. Then you rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. How's that? You know what we should have did today? We should have read that verse and went home. But then you look for a refund. We could have read that verse and then we could have went home. Then he says, he says this, you notice the eight benefits. Let me read them out to you because I want to stick to the notes here. So I'm not going to give eye contact because I want to get this right. Here are, there's the promise and here there's the command, sorry, there's three commands and there's eight promises. And I'm going to read you the eight promises so you can count them and see if I'm right this morning. If I'm wrong, that's okay. Surrender your heart to God, that's the first command. You give up, you give to God your emotions, you give him your heart. You do that every day. You turn to him in prayer, that's the second thing. 
you talk to him in prayer and you give up your sins, that's confession. Confession's good for the soul. So that's your wrong attitude, all the things you have done, God creating me a clean heart type of attitude. That's the prayer thing. Then he says, here's, an, here's the eight benefits, and I'm going to fly through these. There's no shame. You'll be confident. You'll be fearless. Your troubles will be like water under the bridge. The dark night that you're going through, and some of you may be going through the dark night of the soul today, the dark night that you're going through is going to get brighter than the noonday. You'll be able to sleep well. Many people like to sleep well. Yep. You're going to be able to rest safe and secure so you sleep well, and you're going to be filled with hope, and you're going to be emptied of worries. That's a good deal. If we were somewhere in America, everybody would be going ballistic right now, going, amen. No, that's a mercy clap. No, that's a mercy clap. Let's not do that. I've, I've asked you to do it, and that's the reason you're doing it. Surrender your heart every day and look at those benefits. Please look at those benefits. Those are, if you want to believe in Scripture, if you have faith enough to believe in the Scripture, I'd encourage you this week to take it on board. Would you be up for that? Would you be up for that? You know, even you don't have a Bible at home, Google it. Google a text. We could send it out to you. Every day, remember. How much time have I got left? Oh, every day, remember. I'm going to finish with two points. Every day, remember that God loves you. You've got to pause every day and remember how much God actually loves you. Because if you don't feel loved by God, I want to say this here, and it might go, you know, people think that Christians, you know, you shouldn't be led by your feelings, but I'm going to say that you should be led by your feelings sometimes. Emotions are a good thing. God wired us for emotions. You know that hope, joy, and peace? Those are emotions that we feel. They're not theological, logical things. They're actually things that we actually live by. So when we, when we, when we, when we experience God's love, I think it's so much easier to love other people. It's very hard to love other people when you've got no concept of love. So I want to remind myself every day what God thinks about me. You see, here's the thing. People in Northern Ireland have this screwed up mentality that God doesn't like them. I mean, we're called to love God, but we don't really believe that God loves us. And in fact, we don't really believe that God likes us. He might love us, but he doesn't like us. I'll tell you this morning, God's in a good mood and he likes you. Do you hear me? He's in a good mood and he likes you. That's enough. So here's three things, and all three things Jason's given you this morning, or what God thinks about you, okay? I'm going to say them very quickly. I'm not going to go into detail. You're completely accepted. Rest assured, you're completely accepted. You're completely accepted. Jesus made us acceptable to God, Titus 3, 7. He made us acceptable to God. Deal done. You're unconditionally loved. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. God doesn't say, if you do this, Jason, you know what? If you start to smarten up your life, start to act in a certain way, if you get up at 7 o'clock every morning and pray, read your Bible every day, then I'll start to love you. It's, un- it's unconditional love. God loved me while I was still a sinner. God loved me when I was screwing up. And the only reason I can love God back is because he first loved me. So I'm unconditionally loved. Isaiah 54.10 says, my love for you will never end, says the Lord. Get a load of that this morning. My love for you will never end, says the Lord. I am completely accepted and I'm unconditionally loved. I'm totally forgiven. And some of you will struggle with this this morning. Some of you think this is arrogant. Some of you think if you've got a religious spirit at all on you or any type of religious in your, religion in your heart, you'll find, uh, yes, that's for the person beside me. Oh, no, that's for, I know that fits them, but not me. No, this is you. Now I'm going to push you 2%. You're totally forgiven. You're totally forgiven. 
Romans 8, 1, there are no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sins are wiped out. God doesn't rehearse it. He releases it. That's good, that'll tweet. God doesn't rehearse it. He releases it. Right? God doesn't rehearse your screw-ups. He releases them, and you're totally forgiven. And considered extremely valuable. Now, that's a hard one for you. How many of you feel extremely valuable? See, how do you value yourself? How do you value your house? How do you value your house? If you're going to sell a house, how do you value your house? I'm finishing now. How do you file, how do you file your house? Keith Warwick, you're bound to know this one. It's not Jesus. You, you might think it sounds like Jesus. It's not the, chat, it's not the Sunday school answer. How do you... How do you... You ring him. <laughs> Other than that, let's get a little deeper. How do you file your house? Could I say, would it be... How much the person's... Would he pay for it? Yeah. So what, 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 what somebody's going to pay for, what, what, what people are, what the market's going to pay for, it's how you file yourself. And so something can get worth £200,000 like in 1995. Do you remember the good old days in 1995, 1994, when everybody told you to buy, 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 buy? And then you went buy, 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 buy. <laughs> BYE. The market price was like the house was worth 200000 and then all of a sudden it was worth one hundred and ten grand. Why? Because it's just whatever people are willing to pay for it now. So what do you think about yourself? How much are you worth? What was Jesus... What was God the Father in heaven, the king that left heaven? What was he going to pay for you? The ultimate price gives his only son, his one and only son. Jesus was an only son. And God gives the only son. He pays for your life. That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable you are. And that's key to every relationship with God and with humanity. That you understand that you're accepted that you are worth something, that you are forgiven, and you're unconditionally loved. You need this message today. Can we stand? And then we're going to respond. Sharon, would you come? I need to do something a little formal this morning. I'm going to read a prayer. I've never done this. Well, I probably have done it maybe a few times in over 10 years. We don't read prayers here in the vineyard. It's not our, part of our liturgy, but it's a good thing for all our people if they enjoy that. But I'm going to, I just want to, I want you to say in your mind, when I say this, I want you to agree with me if you, if you want to go there this morning. And all I want you to say, if this prayer connects you and connects with your heart and your emotions, would you just simply say me too? Would you simply say me too? Is that okay? So there's nothing spiritual about bowing your head or closing your eyes, but I'm just going to ask you to do that just for sake of engagement this morning. And you just say, dear God, you can say me too. I admit that I have made a mess in my relationships. Oh, you can just, sorry, don't say all that. Sorry, just say, you can just say me too if this connects with you. They're complicated. They're broken. They're not the best. I've often settled for less than the best, and they need a transformation. Me too. I'd like you to begin by changing me. Deliver me from these three fears that I've learned about today. I can see how they make me distant and defensive and even demanding. So today, and each day from now on, I want to surrender my heart to you. I'm doing this right now. And you can just surrender your heart to Jesus right now. I surrender my heart to you. Just say that. God, I surrender my heart to you. Just say that publicly. God, I surrender my heart to you. I want to learn to live my life in your love. 
filled with your love. Please replace my shame with your love. When I'm afraid to let others see the real me, remind me how you see me. Say this, thank you that you accept me completely. Say this, thank you that you love me unconditionally. Say thank you that you forgive me totally. Say thank you that you paid such a high price to save me. Now God, give me the grace to accept others just as, you, just as you have accepted me. Help me to love others unconditionally, just as you've loved me. Help me to forgive others totally, just as you've forgiven me. Help me to value others just as you value me. Say, dear God, I want to be known as a loving person. So help me to extend the grace to people around me and help me to express the faith in people around me and help me to expect the best in the people around me and help me endure the worst when it happens. I want to live my life in love and I humbly ask us in Jesus' name. Amen.